I think you just have to have trust in yourself. And I think that is a lot easier to do as you are going through the ins and outs and daily challenges of life as you age. I wish I could go back and talk to the 22-year-old version of myself and say, hey, you know, you knew what you were doing back then. You just needed a little more confidence and, and trust in yourself. The oil and gas industry, the driving engine of the world economy, delivering prosperity, innovation and abundance across the globe. Here are the stories of its key players, directly from the leaders themselves. This is Bulwark's Oil and Gas Industry Leaders Podcast, where real experiences are passed on from the leaders of today to the leaders of tomorrow. Here is your host, Paige Wilson. Welcome to this week's episode. I'm sitting here this afternoon at the Capitol Grill City Center with my guest, Jim Winchester, Executive Director of the Independent Petroleum Association of New Mexico. How are you doing? Very good. Thank you for having me. Thanks for coming all the way to Houston. It's great. <laughs> great to be here. Great. Before getting into it, I wanted to please ask everyone to support the show by taking a few moments just to, by leaving a review in iTunes and that'll you'll, you'll get a shout out on the show and everything. So Jim, let's discuss how you got started in the oil and gas industry. Very good. Well, I think as anyone's career goes, it's very sordid, and it was very much unexpected, but I'm very glad to be where I'm at right now. Initially, when I was going through undergrad, mechanical engineering, which was sort of following what the family does and the aptitude, but not necessarily where my passion was. However, very proud that I got that mechanical engineering degree and went out into the workforce as a design engineer and specifically was working on point-of-purchase displays, mechanical systems for trade shows, those sorts of things. Oh, cool. A very short career, though, because when you're not motivated, you learn very quickly that in order to maintain joy in life and happiness, you've got to get into a field that you really want to do. And I think I had that small voice inside of me saying, well, Jim, all along, you've really enjoyed doing more extroverted things, including broadcasting and news and journalism. And so at the age of uh, 22, I pretty much started over, went back to grad school and got a uh, master's in journalism. And started from scratch and worked my way up through the ladder in the broadcasting business. And that was a very rewarding 15-year career. And of all places, it led me to New Mexico, which is where I currently reside now. And I finished up what was a two-year contract in New Mexico working for the CBS affiliate there, just as a general assignment reporter, fill and anchor. And you get a little bit burned out after a while on the hours and with the, uh, the lack of a personal life and working holidays. And of course, I was out in New Mexico all alone. But what happened timing-wise was very fortunate. The new governor came into power in election in the 2010 gubernatorial race in New Mexico, Susana Martinez, Republican. And at that point, because of my coverage working on her election campaign, I was approached by her folks and said, is there any way you would ever be interested in potentially working you know, as a spokesperson or a public relations person for the new governor. And I jumped at that opportunity. It was time for me after 15 years to, to have a change. And I love New Mexico. I love the desert and the whole feeling and the lifestyle out there. So they were, were very kind to me and said, well, what 
what are your interests? What sorts of things do you really want to do? And with my mechanical engineering background, I was more drawn to something technical. And I said energy. I would love to get to learn more about the energy industry, be a spokesperson and a representative. And with that came along a package deal of working in the environment department. So from both standpoints, I've got the energy background and working on the front lines with media and other issues related to communications in New Mexico on energy, as well as all the regulatory stuff that came along with working in the environment department. And so that sort of set me on this path that's brought me to here today. Awesome. So let's talk about some of the challenges that you've gone through in the energy portion of Certainly. It. Yeah. yeah, I mean, I think it's hard not in this day and age to be, if you are working as an independent producer or if you are in a larger integrated company, not to be somewhat in tune with what's going on in regulation. I think you have to be, you have to be a step ahead of the game. You have to be anticipatory. You have to be flexible and be able to react to new regulations and changes. So it was only natural with this state government administration that came into power back in 2011 with Governor Martinez that we began what was a series of stakeholder meetings and talking with producers and with folks within the energy industry about what can we do to make the extraction of oil and gas more attractive and more manageable for operators there. At the same time, want to make sure that we're protecting the environment. So we had a lot of information and learned that a lot of the regulatory framework that was there in the state at the time was either duplicative of what was already on the books from the federal standpoint, or that there were several different versions of the same state regulation that was being managed by several different departments. And so the idea was to streamline a little bit, work with operators, make sure that we we're still holding them accountable and responsible because we are the regulator, but making sure that we can attract the same sorts of uh, oil and gas producers that we see in our neighbors in Texas, because they obviously have a huge market and attract a lot of folks. And we, and we, and Texas and New Mexico obviously share something, you know. That's right. That big jewel down there called the Permian Basin. Yeah. So let's discuss what you're doing now. Sure. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, very much so. About two years ago, having previously spent uh, that first term in the administration working regulatory, I was approached by some of the folks that I worked with from the industry side of things back when I was on the regulatory side. And they said, uh, we've got this opening to be a representative of independent producers in the state of New Mexico. And I jumped at that opportunity. It was for me, oil and gas is something that I immediately enjoyed. I enjoyed the mechanical aspects of it. I enjoyed the engineering. But more importantly, getting out into the basins, talking with people, learning a lot more about the the structure, the framework, the operations. It's an ongoing thrill to continue to learn more and more about what the business is doing. And of course, back then, we were 2011 sitting on what was this revolution, hydraulic fracturing, which was already there, but horizontal drilling right. and extracting shale oil. And uh, ground zero essentially has been the Permian Basin, and we've seen what's happened in the last eight years. Yeah. So what is the purpose of the of IPA? Yes. Independent Petroleum Association of New Mexico was formed about 40 years ago, started by a gentleman by the name of Yates, who's got a big name when it comes to oil and gas production. They were the ones that first drilled the first wildcat well in New Mexico and discovered oil there in the Permian Basin. And so the Yates Industries grew 
over the years and decided they needed to have a presence and a voice within the state of New Mexico, specifically for independent operators. And more of the spirit of entrepreneurial, of starting on your own as a wildcatter, and then making your way into more and more wells, acquisitions, and just doing business in that overall setting. Right. Yeah. Great. So what were some of the, what are some issues that I, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Well, certainly we have seen with the boom in the Permian Basin, specifically on the Mexico side, many of the challenges that come with a boom time. And, you know, New Mexico right now is blessed with abundant natural resources, specifically the Delaware Basin, where we see those stacked formations, Wolf Camp and, and Bone Springs. And so what what we're facing right now is an infrastructure challenge down there. And part of the advocacy that I've been working on specifically since I came on board a year and half ago is to improve infrastructure down there. We work close with the local municipalities, with the counties, to try to address their needs and be the intermediary between them and the state government and other right, folks. Right, because there's further permitting with that and you yeah. know right-of-ways. And- exactly, whether it be anything working specifically on permitting issues with the state land office or whether it is just in general getting more funds allocated and returned back to the Permian Basin since that is really the main revenue generator for the state of New Mexico. And we tend to see, as any state governments, when they get this new influx of money, of course, they want to spend it. But we're trying to say, look, you got to bring it back to the base and where it came from, because we have these challenges of infrastructure, of traffic backups, of housing, of labor shortages. You know, everything that we have seen over the years throughout Texas in a lot of these cities, like Midland and whatnot, are now facing New Mexico for the first time. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I can see that. So if you had one piece of advice to give our audience, what would it be? Well, I think from a career trajectory standpoint, I think you just have to have trust in yourself. And I think that is a lot easier to do as you are going through the ins and outs and daily challenges of life as you age. I wish I could go back and talk to the 22-year-old version of myself and say, hey, you know, you knew what you were doing back then. You just needed a little more confidence and, and trust in yourself. Because I think the, you're you're going into the big world and you're uncertain about where your place is and whether or not you can do it. I think now with that sort of knowledge going back and saying, you know, as long as you dedicate yourself, you put in the work, you learn your craft, whatever it may be, whether it's engineering, broadcasting, or now in the case of oil and gas, as long as you are dedicating yourself and are motivated and have trust in yourself, then I think you can, you know, move to very, any number of opportunities or places, depending on where you're at, at the right place at the right time. Yeah, I like that. Yeah, good. And what book influenced you the most? Well, I will certainly say in the last five years was the prize, yeah. uh, which of course is uh, Daniel the, the Daniel Jurgen, the, the Bible, if it comes to oil and gas historical history of the industry. And that is fascinating. I think it's a base foundation for anyone who gets into the business and really enjoys it. And I think it's, you know, one of those monster books, but it, it reads fast. And uh, if well, you... Well, if you don't want to read the book, it is on... Actually, I think they made a DVD a video, set. Yeah, DVD series. That's right. I haven't seen that, but I've, I've seen it being advertised. I've, I've read the book and I've watched it. And it, uh, one, or, one or the other put me to sleep. I'm going to say which. But. <laughs> <laughs> well, from a historical standpoint, it really puts into context 
context where we are right now in this industry. I mean, we've been around for over 100 years, but we are really now looking at this huge transition point when we're seeing what's going on with shale oil. And that, to me, will be something that will be written about by Daniel Jurgen or the others who come along after him in the years to come and say, look, that 2010 to 2020 timeframe was revolutionary when it came to our oil and gas business. Yeah, good, great. What's your most used business tool? Well, the smartphone. <laughs> I mean, that's an easy <laughs> right. crutch to, to lean on. In fact, the application was such that it changed when I was working in broadcasting. Gone were the days when I first started in television broadcasting where you would send, write a script out to a notepad and you're live and you're just basically you know looking at your notes and sort of making sure you're hitting the main points. Nowadays, if you watch TV broadcasting news, everyone's looking down at their smartphones. Yeah, I, mean, it's such I have a, noticed that. Yeah, it's such a different, even since I have left and I've been out of the business now almost a decade, how much has changed from there. But if you look at it from a perspective of both your regular life now now and in your your world. I'm in Houston today away from New Mexico, and I am absolutely tied to emails and to texts and everything that's going on back home, which then makes you think about, my gosh, how did my how did my dad, how did all those folks do it when they, they didn't have, you know, they had to actually stop and use, you know, God forbid, a payphone and try to get, you know. I saw one of those the other day. Uh, well, they're getting rarer and rarer for I sure. Know. But it does, I mean, I'm not going to age myself, but it brings you back to that time period when you were growing up and we would take family trips and you remember, you know, when dad would need to check into the office, he would have to stop at a payphone and at the gas station. Credit, credit card number to get the call through the whole deal. I mean, when we were, when I was in college, we were, my parents were giving me out those little calls card gift yeah, certificates. You could yeah, dial one yeah. 888 to get your number. But I mean, nowadays, those college campuses don't even have landlines in their rooms anymore. Because it was yeah. funny. Something my dad did was he got a 1-8 number, 1-800 oh, yeah. number That's for right. us. My yeah. dad did too as a small business owner, the same thing. Yeah. It's yeah. just easier to do. And yeah. Instead of having to keep up with the cards, I mean, and, them. And remember when it was like to answer a phone and not really know who was calling? Oh, I know. I mean, really, that was not long ago. I no, mean, this it was wasn't all that long last, ago at all. You know, 50. <laughs> now I'm sounding like I'm aging myself. For those folks out there, I am younger than the age of 50, but you know. <laughs> <laughs> I'm here with you. <laughs> so, and I know this is probably not applicable, but who's your most respected competitor? I guess, I guess it would be another oil and gas group also, right? Well, I mean, here's the thing that I was brought in to do in New Mexico, and that was specifically as our trade association, make sure that we were getting along with the other trade associations in the area. The Permian Basin Petroleum Association has got a huge presence down there, and they have a lot of longtime members, and we have gone a long way to make sure that we don't view them as competitors, and we've forged a lot of relationships with them, which helps us in the regulatory field when we're trying to all, you know, pitch or propose the same sort of legislation or in defense of industry at the same time. Also in New Mexico is the New Mexico Oil and Gas Association, and they're sort of the big dog in town. As good fortune would have it, their executive director was the same person I worked with in the Martinez administration oh, that's for, cool. for many years. And, and that, again, has helped us formalize an alliance between our two associations now that both steers us from a standpoint of policy, communications, 
regulations and regulation. And we just got off our 60-day legislative session, and I thought our cooperative efforts were stronger than ever. In terms of who do you look at as your competitors? Well, I think we have seen, as everyone in the industry has seen, is you you have these these very very fringe environmental groups which have strong positions, and a lot of it, you know, is got some legitimacy to it. But you also see the other side that a, a lot of them will simply put out information to try to stir up commotion and get more donations to their own causes without really any foundation for what the accusations are. No foundation, no fact, nothing. Yeah. And we see that a lot with the oil and gas industry because we are a target. And the environmental groups have learned that there is a next generation that's coming in right now that has grown up to learn that everything that oil and gas does is not, quote unquote, environmentally friendly. Now, in fact of the matter, that couldn't be further from the truth because I think the technology that we've seen in our industry has led to some of the greatest innovations that we have right now that are saving and protecting our environment. But I think always you need to have perspective inside and outside of the industry of balance. And sometimes you see a lot of these groups, and don't get me wrong, we're an advocacy group too, and we advocate oil and gas. But I think you sometimes see a lot of groups that target oil and gas, and they're doing so not for the sake of the environment, they're doing so for the sake of their own cause. Yeah, their own agenda. Yep, absolutely. And that's that's the unfortunate part, but it's nothing new to those folks who've been in the oil and gas business for a long time. Yeah, absolutely. And I I think that we're the, at this point, we're the less industry anybody needs to be worried about it, because we're so worried about safety and in, in the environment, it, the environment that and, and scrutinize so much that I mean, when something happens in our industry, people die. Yeah, and and we see like in any industry that with you have a few quote unquote bad actors, it reflects poorly on the entire industry. So I think the yeah. industry in itself is taking it upon itself to hold itself to a higher standard, and that can only continue to help. And with that, I think it's where the trade associations come in, like Independent Petroleum Association of New Mexico, to project the positive messages that are out there and, and the many things that we bring to a community. We're in the midst of a monstrous oil boom in New Mexico. New Mexico has moved from seventh in oil production to now number three. We are only right on that. We are only behind Texas, of course, and North Dakota. This past year alone, we, in terms of pure production numbers, we jumped over both Alaska and California. So this boom, specifically what's going on down in the Delaware Basin creates opportunity. But with opportunity, you have all these other challenges that come along. But I'll tell you, if you embrace that and you look at what's going on, 45% of the state budget revenues are coming from oil and gas industry. That's a little, I mean, that's very dependent on one singular industry. Right. But I mean, from the standpoint of the clout that we have, you know, we are the checkbook right now. So we continue to remind folks who are against oil and gas, well, if you really want to over-regulate us, then in fact of point, you're going to be putting the state out of business. Well, right. All right. So what's your most important lesson learned? So probably by... No coincidence, I grew up automobile racing fan Yeah, and from the Midwest, and still to this day, every May, I go down to the Indianapolis 500, and I learned to respect the organization, the Penske Racing Organization, and their big motto, Roger Penske, they've, they're the most successful Indianapolis 500 winning team in the history of the sport. Their motto, Roger Penske, was uh, efforts equal results, and essentially that has taught me that the more you put into it, the more you invest, the more time 
the more you will see those results come through. You can't basically take a soft country club approach to addressing a lot of the problems of oil and gas. You've got to be proactive. You've got to put in the time. And you know, you may not see results eventually, but if you keep at it, I, I truly believe that you, you, know, you will see success in whatever venture you're doing in life. And the Penske organization was a total exemplary example of that. They came into the automobile racing world. And you're, I'm, I'm sorry if you're yawning right now. This is oh, no, I'm fine. Good. Well, not everybody really loves racing the way I do, so I'll acknowledge that off the Well, top. I have passions in my own things, but I, yeah. I mean, I'm encouraged by your enthusiasm. Well, yeah. So the, the Penske organization came in in the 70s, late to the game, when it automobile racing, and uh, they put in time, effort, resources, people. And, and since then, they've won 16 Indianapolis 500s, more than any other team in the history That's of That's awesome. So it's, uh, it's neat to see. And I do like the correlation with oil and gas because, of course, in itself, automobile racing is promoting our industry. Yes, I agree. Absolutely agree. I may not watch it because there's a whole lot of right. There's a whole lot of left turns. But... That's right. That's right. <laughs> and you have to be there in person to appreciate. And that's that's what I've heard. That's what I, I would not, I would love to attend one. But so, what's your favorite podcast? Let's see. Right now, I go through through phases, but right now, and perhaps because I find the humor refreshing from a political standpoint, I'm listening to Dennis Miller's podcast. And of course, Dennis Miller is a man of my generation on Saturday Night Live. Yeah, I remember that. And he's typically. gotten very political. And it, as it so happens, I do agree with a lot of the things he says. But if you listen to the intelligence behind the humor, it's, it's very enlightening and it's, it's quite entertaining. So he put together a podcast that's been out there now for about a year. He used to have a radio show. Yeah, I remember that. Yeah. So he's been, he's been around the block. So, you know, you, you look for, I think, those folks that have smart entertainment, smart comedy, whatever it will be. Witty. Yeah. Enlightening. They don't take themselves so seriously Yeah, because, you know, God knows life's serious enough as it is. Yeah. No kidding. Right. (laughs) Right. (laughs) So doesn't IPAMN have a conference coming up? Yes. Independent Petroleum Association of New Mexico will be having what will be, I believe it's 40th annual meeting. And we have once again decided to have it in Albuquerque, which is our biggest city. And it's halfway between the two basins, producing basins in New Mexico. So it's like middle ground. It's also, if you're coming from out of state, the easiest airport to get into. So with that being said, yeah, it's July 24th, 25th, 26th in Albuquerque. Anyone and everyone is welcome. There's information at our website at www.ipanm.com dot org and it's it's affordable it's good for networking if you have any sort of interests or business in new mexico we do everything from regulatory updates to having a golf tournament and having some fun we have a strong membership and we get a lot of those folks there but we're always looking to increase our membership and our presence and more and more what we're seeing is we're going into a texas to Houston, Fort Worth, Midland, Odessa, and then expanding up into Colorado. We're seeing a lot of those operators who are headquartered out of those places doing business in the Permian or in the San Juan Basin. And we think that the Independent Petroleum Association offers a great information and networking opportunity as well as representation for what you need from the regulatory standpoint. And we encourage anyone else who's interested just to take a look at us, find out a little bit more about what we do, how long we've been around, and you know, see if we're a good match. We are proudly, our membership includes the folks who are independents who are literally out there driving their trucks in, in, in the basins and, and collecting their oil and bringing it back to you know the large independents that have hundreds to thousands of wells. So from that standpoint, we take a lot of pride in in being independents. We do even have integrated companies for our members because they are showing their support for industry as a whole. 
Yeah, that's the, that's the right way to do it. And, I, and if I'm not mistaken, uh, there will be a few of us from OGGN that will be attending that conference. And I think I'm going to be doing a couple of interviews well, too, right? Well, we had just excited to be here today in Houston to join you in announcing to the folks out there that our keynote speakers will be from your association with the podcast. And at the same time, while they're out there giving the keynote, we'll also be doing some recording for podcasts. Our members are excited. I can tell you that even just this morning, Walsh Engineering, along with Epic Production, have signed on to be sponsors of the keynote podcasts that will be broadcast there. Awesome. So we're real happy to have them. They're producers out of the Northwest of New Mexico in the gas basin up there. And when they had heard that we were bringing you folks along, they they jumped at the opportunity to sign up and sponsor that. So oh, big great. thanks to Walsh Engineering and Epic Production. Awesome. And speaking of events, here's Julie with Events on Deck. Hey everyone, it's Julie here with the Events on Deck for May 2019. We have our Midland Happy Hour on May 21st at Midland Beer Garden, and it will be from 6 to 9. And then we have our Houston Happy Hour, and it's going to be at the Cannon from 6 to 9 on May 28th. This month, we have the Oil & Gas Smart Contracts Conference on May 15th and 16th, and we will actually be launching another one of our new podcasts live from that event. So check it out. The link is in the show notes. We have the Merge Market Energy Forum on May 21st. At, it's in Houston. Just check that out in the show notes. And then we have a charity event, Golf for Good. That's a golf charity event for Redeemed Ministries. That's going to be on June 11th, 2019. And they are still looking for sponsors. So check that out in our show notes. And If you want to sponsor or register, just click the link in the show notes. And that is it for the month of May. Some events on deck in the the coming months. We have Shoot for the Future, a clay shoot on Friday, July 26th. And then NAPES and the NAPES Summer is coming up in August. And that is it for our upcoming events. All right. Thanks, Jim, for um, no, that's great. for joining for me and coming all the way to Houston. I know our traffic sucks. I'm so sorry. <laughs> <laughs> well, the timing is fortuitous and Houston is definitely the, the center of the energy world in New Mexico, or excuse me, in the United States. Right. It's not New Mexico, <laughs> but in the United States in general. And so we have a lot of members and member companies that are here and I've enjoyed being here, meeting with them this past week. And of course, meeting with you guys. Great. And so if people want to reach out to you and or get to know more about IPA and how can they go about doing sure. that? Again, our website is www.ipanm dot org and my name is Jim Winchester executive director there's information on there if you would like to email me all right perfect and I'll make sure to put your LinkedIn in the show notes along with the website link and that's great so that, that concludes this episode so just remember it's up to you to open the next door tune in next week for another intriguing episode of Bulwark's oil and gas industry leaders podcast a production of the oil and gas global network Learn more at oilandgasindustryleaders.com.